All right, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Rhino Report. Good to have you aboard. This is a solo mission here. Uh, this one, a little bit different of a pace for this one. Uh, nothing really much political on this one. Uh, this is more of an educational format for this uh, episode. Uh, we've mentioned some white-collar criminals before on this show, and uh, we are going to, in this episode, take it back a little bit and kind of explain for a lot of you what white-collar crime is. I mean, most of you have probably a general idea, but uh, this is a little bit of an educational background on this subject. Um what do you think of when you think of the, or when you hear the word white collar crime? Um, obviously, there's been shows like American Greed, uh, movies like Wolf of Wall Street, some like that that have uh, taken a little bit of a little bit of a chance to explain this this side of the world. But uh, what do you think of? Well, probably one thing for sure a lot of us think about is greed. Um, in the Bible, First Timothy. Chapter 6 and verse 10 tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, White-collar crime goes back to biblical times, pretty much. Um, As long as there's been money and been greed, there's been the possibility of somebody uh, committing a crime for it. Um, Even Aristotle wrote about uh, some Greek officials that were embezzling public funds and misusing and taking bribes and that sort of thing. The actual uh, term white-collar crime, however, is not terribly, you know, old in a sense. Uh, It didn't come around until 1939, and there was a criminologist in this country by the name of Edward Sutherland. Um, I like some of his work that we studied in grad school and and other times in college. Uh, He was famous for the differential association theory which, uh, for those of you that are not familiar with that, I like to call it the birds of a feather theory. That is basically, you become who you hang out with. If you hang out with criminals and people of a poor reputation, their behavior will rub off on you. You will, you know, be influenced by that and soon engage in that yourself. So, uh, he was famous for that. He is the one that actually came up with that term, white-collar crime. Um... Sutherland said, basically, white-collar crime is a person of, quote, respectability and, quote, high social status, and in the course of their occupation, they uh, commit a crime. So, blue-collar people uh, that commit crime, scams, you know, contractors, things like that that we see today, they would not be white-collar criminals under Sutherland's definition. Um... It pretty much stayed that way for about the next uh, 30 years or so, and it wasn't until 1970 there was a fellow by the name of Herbert Edelhertz. He worked for the U.S. Department of Justice, and uh, Edelhertz's work changed the way we look at white-collar crime, how it was defined. Edelhertz expanded the definition, and it also was to include all kinds of things, people cheating on their taxes, um, low-level employees that engage in embezzlement, bribery, kickbacks, so on and so forth, Uh, con games or schemes. So obviously, committing a crime under this definition for financial profit pretty much would classify you as a white-collar criminal. So 
pretty interesting to think about. Obviously, this very much broadened the net to where many more people were eligible and qualified to be a white-collar criminal because, again, blue-collar people, uh, low-level employees, maybe uh, under this definition of just a regular bank teller committing embezzlement, under this definition, that's white-collar crime. Uh, Under Sutherland's original definition, that would not be the case. He would argue that the uh, bank teller does not have, quote, high social status or, uh, quote, a person of respectability and power, so therefore they could not commit a white-collar crime. And these two schools of thought pretty much stay on this subject to this day. Uh, People are pretty much of one school or the other. Uh, Me personally, I lean more towards the Edelhurts definition. I don't think you have to be, say, rich and powerful and a, quote, person of high respectability or social status, per se, to commit a white-collar crime. But nonetheless, uh, there are people that do, in, in this field, that do see it that way. In 1990, another criminologist, Susan Shapiro, she determined that white-collar crime had to involve some violation of trust. Um, Obviously, in these white-collar crimes, there usually is a relation of trust involved. Um, You know, as we've talked about on this show before with Bernie Madoff and Jordan Belfort, you know, they scammed their investors, people that trusted them and invested their money with them. Um, You know, we've seen all kinds of Ponzi schemes and things like that. Um, We've seen some white-collar crimes committed by doctors, falsely billing insurances, uh, you know, reporting illnesses that were not existent, uh, things of that sort. Um, The person has a trust with that doctor, so if they do commit that crime, that violates that trust, and under her definition, that is a white-collar crime. It's often different um, because in street-level crime, you know, there's not a level of trust a lot of times. A lot of times people do know their attacker, As I've said before, that's not always the case with white-collar crime. You know, not everybody that was investing with Madoff knew him personally, uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless, he still took advantage of these people and took their money. Um, Same thing here. Um, Edelhertz also was pointed out that these types of white-collar crimes involve some type of concealment or deception. Again, street crime doesn't always involve that. You know, sometimes people are robbed out in broad daylight by an attacker that does not conceal their identity. Uh, They don't know, you know, or they're not trying to hide who they are. Uh, That's not always the case with white-collar crime. Um, The issue that we do run into, though, is we don't know as much about the backgrounds of these offenders like we do with the street criminals. Um, We do know a little bit more than we have in years past, but it is still an area of, of criminology that's not quite given a lot of focus and study yet what we do learn from a lot of them come from pre-sentence investigation reports and for those of you that are not familiar with that that's written by basically somebody like me you know i work as a probation officer on my day job and uh sometimes when some offender is awaiting sentencing if the judge does not have enough information on this offender they will order what is known as a pre-sentence investigation report and that is put together by the probation officer. They interview the uh, defendant. They get information on them from their, you know, their childhood, their education, their employment history, 
marital and family history, mental ill, Ill, uh, mental health, uh, illnesses and other health problems, uh, substance abuse history, you know, and on and on, employment history, all that stuff. And it puts together a package and gives that judge a chance to uh, put together some type of uh, re- idea of a background on that person and what is the appropriate sentence. Um, now, I can tell you from personal experience, the problem you do run into sometimes, not all these offenders are honest with you. Uh, some of the information they tell you, you can't ever completely verify it and whatnot, but it is the best source of information that we have. And uh, white-collar criminals do differ from street criminals, but surprisingly, they do have some things in common with them as well. Um, you know, it's no secret about, you know, a lot of the backgrounds that, that street criminals come from, and we'll get to that in a second, but uh, probably if I were to ask most of you the average background on the average uh, street or the average white-collar criminal, you'd probably say that... Uh, you know, come from a wealthy background, uh, went to Ivy League College, everything like that. But uh, some of the data here that was put together, you might find a little bit surprising. Um, of course, the gender is not surprising. When you're talking about uh, street criminals, 66% roughly or more of the crimes committed are committed by males. When we're talking white-collar crime... That goes up to about 85% male. And we're talking about race. Uh, your average common street criminal is about 34% white. But when you're talking about uh, white-collar crime, it's about 81% white. Education. Your common street criminals, 4% only are college grads. Now, when you're getting to... White-collar criminals, again, probably a lot of you would think that the overwhelming majority of them are college grads. Well, this surprised me when I learned this in grad school. It's not the case. Only 27% of white-collar criminals are college grads. Now, employment, a big one. Uh, About 12% of your common street criminals have steady employment. 58% of your white-collar criminals. So meaning not all of them are working and ripping off the boss or the company or anything like that. That's a lot of them running the scams, the, uh, you know, telephone scams, internet scams, uh, all kinds of things that they can. So a lot of them aren't working, but that is their job. The white-collar crime they're engaged in, that is their occupation, so to speak, what they're doing to make money. Um, Violent criminals, as we know, tend to be younger, but the average age of a white-collar criminal is usually in their 40s. big difference as we know violent crime the offenders tend to age out of that so to speak over time not the case with uh, white collar crime these offenders uh, tend to not get started till they're a little bit older um, again most are male the exception that we found in the studies that we have with that is bank embezzlement uh, is a difference where nearly half involved in bank embezzlements are female Now, prior criminal history, again, we know most people that get caught up in street crime, they have a lengthy criminal history before they're sent to prison or, you know, they, uh, you know, a lot of them even have juvenile criminal histories, but you'd be surprised to know uh, more white collar offenders actually have had run-ins with the law prior to getting convicted of a white collar crime. Now, again, if I was to poll a lot of you listening, you would probably think off the top of your head that, uh, yeah, the overwhelming majority of them were squeaky clean and uh, 
had no criminal history or anything of that case. But believe it or not, and all this data is from the Yale and Forest Road study, about 40% of them have said that uh, they did have some type of run-in with the law prior to their white-collar crime conviction. Now, what probation officers have found, an unfortunate thing when they're putting these studies together or these uh, pre-sentence investigations together, is that uh, they don't always get the best cooperation. Many of these offenders are very wealthy. They're very arrogant. Uh, They feel it's beneath them to have to cooperate, maybe. So they don't always get the best cooperation on gathering these reports and the background and information and things of that sort about these offenders. But... We know that they are highly educated, uh, or at least, like I said, that's what most law-abiding people think, but uh, very little is actually paid to the type of crimes they commit unless it is a high-profile case. Example, like I said, Madoff, Belfort, one of those cases. Most of the time, these cases get very little media attention. You know, as I've said on here before, prior to you know, my time in grad school studying white-collar crime, I knew very little about it. Um, once I was able to really start looking into it, especially when I did my thesis work, this was flooring to me how much of this actually does go on out there. So I really was shocked to see Then the more I dug, the more it was out there. And I know we have shows, again, like American Greed and other things to get this out there, but surprisingly, it's just not as common out there as you would think as far as the coverage of it, I mean. But uh, I'm here to tell you, folks, a lot more of it goes on than what any of us could ever actually realize. Um, White-collar crime does defy some conventional criminology because many offenders are not raised in poverty or suffer, suffer any kind of mental defects. Now, as I said a second ago, we know most of the time in these uh, common street criminals and these uh, the backgrounds of them, most of them are reared in poverty, you know, broken homes. Um, we certainly know that uh, criminals have, uh, you know, higher rates of uh, substance abuse, mental health disorders, things of that sort. Um, and I can't remember at the moment, but there was a study at one time we've talked about in some of my classes that I teach that they've even studied the brainwave activity of uh, serial killers and other types of uh, murderers and violent offenders. And their brainwave activity is drastically different than the average person's. So we know they certainly have a different background. Again, most of them come from dysfunctional childhoods, violent childhoods, things of that sort. But again, with white-collar crime, that's not uh, always necessarily the case. Um, Most of them were not raised in poverty. Most of them we found were raised in, you know, middle class or maybe at the lowest, maybe working class. But uh, not a whole lot of them were raised in poverty. Um... Most of them don't have a lot of mental defects, although they do have, as we've talked about uh, in some of the podcasts before, they do have higher rates of uh, psychopathy and uh, other types of, uh, you know, antisocial disorders. They're, they tend to be more hedonistic and things of that sort, but they don't have documented or diagnosed mental health disorders at the rate that the uh, general public does. So that's something, again, why this crime is so unique. Because the offenders are so much different, They're, they tend to be older, you know, at least a little better educated than the common street criminals. Um, you know, they uh, tend to come from different backgrounds, you know, not as harsh, a little bit better off financially. So again, what motivates people to do this? Um, 
with the broad definition that we have and the technology we have with cybercrime now, in my opinion, it's only going to expand greatly. Um, we have yet to see probably the capabilities of what types of financial crimes are going to be committed. Of course, now we have digital currency exploding on the scene. Who knows how long before there's a lot of crimes used to manipulate that. And the technology, as it continues to expand almost by the day, um, in my opinion, so will the white-collar criminals. This affords them an enormous amount of opportunity to go out and find new ways to rip people off. And as I said about Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, every day when he woke up, first thought on his mind, you know, how can I rip somebody off today? You know, these are opportunists. They are out to look to rip off anybody you can, whether it's just a local uh, lowlife running a telephone scam, trying to scam elderly people, to your Bernie Madoff, who's, you know, responsible for destroying the lives of thousands and, you know, ripping off billions of dollars with a B. So it's a very unique crime, and I think we need to give it more focus, and we do plan to do that on this podcast. Uh, we do plan to give white-collar crime more studies in, the, in more shows in the future, more focus on different types of white-collar criminals, because uh, we are still learning about it. And as I said, technology is only going to broaden the amount of people who are committing these type of crimes, in my opinion. So just about anybody motivated enough to try to rip somebody off, and let's face it, money's a motivator for everything, can be a white-collar criminal. So that's something to really think about. There's all kinds of them out there. You know, the person next door to you could be running a white-collar scam right from their, uh, you know, computer bedroom there on the computer, in their computer room or wherever, um, or even from their smartphone. It's almost limitless now what people can do with uh, the technology to rip people off. And we'll continue to look at ways on this show and, and inform people, you know, what to look out for and do. Because right now, just as anybody can be a white-collar criminal, just about anybody can be a victim, unfortunately, too. And we have to educate people. We have to help tell them to stay on guard. Um, you know, that old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways people are constantly trying to tell you, you know, get rich things. I got a text today or something that I'd won $1,500 or something from Walmart. Just enter my information right here and bam, you know, I'll get my money. You know, and we laugh and you can't imagine anybody being that gullible. But uh, obviously people are. And sometimes people do fall for these. And unfortunately, uh, you know, they lose a lot on there. So uh, these scams have out there, as we said, they've been around since the biblical times, the Aristotle times. And with the technology, it's only going to get worse. So uh, we have to be on guard and be aware because there are people out there that are going to be trying to take advantage of us. And uh, we have to support law enforcement and their efforts in trying to take these people down. Um, if you suspect you are a victim or know a victim of a white-collar crime, please report that to uh, your local law enforcement. Um, so we are going to do more on this in the future. This is uh, just kind of a little bit of an educational background on it. I'm going to talk about some more other offenders. You know, follow us on the Facebook page. Um, please feel free to contact us if you have a subject or you want to be on the show to discuss an issue. We're always glad to have you aboard. Um, you know, so 
keep uh keep aware keep tuning in we do appreciate it uh there is a link also where you can uh donate to us financially to help us keep going if you like but i always say more importantly we need your listening we need your uh viewership we count on that more than anything and we thank you for joining us and we will see you next time on the rhino report